the Making Sense of Life podcast, episode three. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Andrew Horton, and Dr. Sunil Raheja. Uh, Sunil, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, we're looking at stress this time. Tell me, why why are we looking at stress? Why is this such an issue that we have to look at? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here again. Stress, what a subject. I mean, everybody we talk to, everybody you come across says, and including us as well, I'm sure, I'm stressed. I don't know how to handle this. This is stressful. Stress is a ubiquitous part of modern life. Um, no matter who you talk to, no matter where you go, everyone seems to talk about being stressed. And it, again, maybe it's a consequence, I think it is actually not much, maybe it is a consequence, I think, of our increasingly fast-paced, technologically driven world. Uh, we are trying to do more with less. We are feeling time racing ahead ahead of us. We feel this inner sense of... Uh, restlessness and dis-ease um, yeah it's just a part of, of modern day life but as you as you've asked what do we mean by the word I mean the word is used in, in a confusing and ambiguous way I mean it's confusing because when we say stress it, there's no clear-cut definition I mean it's it's a range of mental physical and social ill health and it could be related to stuff at home or at work uh, and also, it's confusing, you know, I think one of the commonest GP reasons on the sick notes for people being for, for people going off work is stress. Mm. But it's not really a, a clear definition. Not, so not very defined. Not very defined. And it's ambiguous because it can refer to an external stimulus acting on, on the individual or, or how somebody reacts to this to that stimulus. But we'll talk about that in, 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 in a little while. Um, but the word stress comes from the world of physics. That's where it originally originated from and where it's used to define the intensity of a force per unit area. And it comes from the Latin word stringere, which means to draw tight. Right. So how big a problem is stress? You know, I mean, if, as you say, it affects everyone. But does that, is that everyone in society? Is, is, it, a, is it a really uh, uh, prevalent problem? I think particularly if you think about... Uh, what's been described as those of us who live in, in the knowledge worker age um obviously i as a psychiatrist i uh, i meet a lot of, of, of different doctors and one of the things that's very very evident is that there is a greater sense of um stress and burnout uh, among doctors in all professions again struggling with the issue of trying to do more with less feeling that they're being um, stretched in all sorts of different directions 
the fact that the world and life has got more complicated. But it's the same in, 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 in business circles. It's the same, um, I think, in, in whatever area that you, that you look at. And what are some of the things we can do to uh, cope with stress, Sunil? I think one of the first things to start off with is to realise that it's actually not new. Um, every age thinks it's the most stressful age that ever was. Um, and it's, if you, if you like, the, the baseline keeps, keeps rising. Um, so, you know, I can, you know, before, before the advent of, of, of email and, and the internet and everything like that, life seemed pretty stressful then. Uh, we've talked about in, in the previous podcast how in, in the last 30 years, m more information has been produced than the previous 5,000 combined. So with that, there is always a stress or a fear that somehow I'm missing out on something important or something valuable or something that I really need to know. But, you know, it's I'd say, it, again, it's, it's one of those things like, like wisdom we talked about in another podcast. It's one of those things that is as old as the hills. Hans Sale was the... Um, was the endocrinologist and also Nobel Prize winner who, as it were, brought the whole phrase, idea of stress into modern parlance. Uh, and he actually won the Nobel Prize for that in 1936. And he proposed three stages to the stress response. The first was what he called the alarm reaction or the fight and flight response. Um, you know, when you feel angry or frightened, there are hormones from your adrenal glands that instantly prepare your body for emergency action. Your blood sugar levels rise and your heart rate starts to pump. And, you know, very, very important reactions, you know, to deal from immediate danger. You know, if a tiger's going to get you or some or you need to rescue somebody who's in ex extreme danger, you need that sudden burst of energy. But in our 21st century world, the same reaction is triggered by the challenges of modern life, such as sudden work pressure or demands coming from all sorts of directions. And because of technology, those demands are constant, so that they don't ever switch off. You know, we are literally in twenty four seven society. Yeah. You can answer your emails at any time, day or night. Uh, you can get messages back at you know wherever you are in in the world, and so that creates a sense of um, being on the edge all the time. And so, and so, we're never able to switch off. So, whereas in the past. You know, if I was running away from a wild animal or something like that, I wouldn't then know that that, that that threat is gone. I'm still can live on that sense of uh, tension uh, indefinitely because I never quite know what the next email is going to come in uh, or, 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 or what that next phone call will be or what that next message will be that could completely rock, rock my world. That's what's... Um, so that's the alarm reaction. And if that carries on continuously, then then Sale talks about this stage of resistance where you feel continually threatened. Your body continues to be in a state of, of constant what's called sympathetic nervous system arousal. And that can last weeks or months, maybe even years. And if you carry on like this, you'll begin to feel anxious, fatigued, and your mood will, 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 will start you know, varying enormously. And again, that carries on long enough, and then you'll reach the exhaustion, exhaustion stage when the threat becomes chronic and what can lead to what's commonly called burnout uh, with reduction in body energy, with reduction in immunity, with significant risk of high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, ulcers, it gets worse and worse. 
So, what are some of the myths that we tell ourselves about stress, then, Sunil? Yes, that's a great question, Andrew. I mean, there are a huge number of, uh, if you like, lies we tell ourselves about stress. One of them, maybe, is that somehow or other we are living in a more stressful age. Uh, And I would say no. I think we may be more aware of things that can go wrong, but every age has its stresses. Uh, I think of an example of that. Um, The Apostle Paul, uh, writing in the New Testament, uh, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, from verses 23. Just listen to Paul's account of his life, uh, and I'll just read it to you. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Now, reading that, listening to that, does that sound stressful to you? I mean, It sounds pretty stressful, yeah. And, and I think that's probably one of the, the big things that we've got to really grasp hold of is that every age has its stresses uh, i just read to you the apostle paul but let me give you an atheist writer as well uh, the pulitzer prize winning author uh, ernest becker in his book the denial of death he puts it like this he says i think that taking life seriously means something like this that whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation of the rumble of panic underneath everything otherwise it's false and he's chosen his words really carefully there. Really profound, isn't it? Yeah, the rumble of panic underneath everything. And I think in our modern world, we're more and more aware of that. I mean, yes, you know, in previous generations, obviously, the mortality was much greater. Uh, natural disasters happened. Uh, it, was a, it was a much more brutal age. Well, I'm actually, that's probably arguable, really. But I think in our Western, in our Western world, it's, it, it's not like what some of the things that happen in other, in other parts of the world. But um, there is something about this rumble of panic. That in, and you pick that up in the media and the newspapers, a sudden awareness of something terrible, some disaster. And we're aware of that more because we see those disasters on our, on, on our TV screens, on, in, in our newspapers, in, in, on the Internet. An event has to happen uh, it's on the other side of the world, and I know about it within, the, within 30 seconds. They, they call it an age of panic, don't they? An age of panic, exactly. And, and that's really always been there. I mean, uh, on a personal example, um, I remember I was uh, doing my what was called the A-le- my, my A-levels, and I was in my, at the end of my first year A-levels. And uh, at that time, there was someone called Ronald Reagan who was elected as president of the United States. And the whole media at that time was talking about how this B-movie uh, B actor was going to become president of the United States and how that was going to be so terrible for the world and that how we were going to have a, a nuclear war with, with the Soviet Union and how we were all going to be wiped out. Yeah. And there were even um, sort of uh, programs on the TV about what to do in case of, of nuclear fallout. Yeah. And I remember walking to school thinking... What's the point of anything? You know, mm. Ronald Reagan's been elected as president of the United States. That must have been about 1980, I think. 
and uh, that means that in, in, in a little while we're going to have a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. We're all going to be wiped out. Uh, what's the point? And I re literally remember thinking that walking to school one day. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably one of, the, one, of, one of the big myths that we tell ourselves is that somehow or other there was a, a quieter, more peaceful, a simpler, uh, a less stressful life. And I don't think there was. So that's one, one huge myth. Um, but there are lots more. Um, another would be this issue that we think that stress is something that happens to us. And, you know, I mentioned Hans Sale, mm. who, in a sense, brought the word stress into, into common parlance. Well, a little before he died, um, he actually apologised to uh, the medical community for making a serious mistake with his stress research. He confessed that he should never have used the word stress uh, and he should have called it the strain syndrome. Mm. And the reason for that is the word stress has created the perception that it's something that happens to us and is continually acting on us. So th so they make, you know, he makes me so stressed. My work makes me so stressed. Uh, I'm so stressed by the economy, for right. example. Yeah. But the reality is that it, 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 we have to make a distinction between the external pressure, if you like, the stress, and the internal effect, which is called the strain. So our response to the external pressure is at least as important as to what is actually happening inside us. And again, that's an area of wisdom, which we talked about in, in, in a different podcast and, and, and on the um, drsignal.com website as well. When I realised that, that actually it's the way that I look at things is as important as what is happening to me, then that opens doors to getting control of the different pressures that we face in life. Mm. Um, so that's, that's another big, big myth, this idea that stress is something that happens to me. Well, actually, my response to what is happening to me is just as important. Well, that's fascinating. I think that uh, people need to understand the myths to be able to know where to move forward. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely. And so, so there are those two big myths. I mean, other myths are um, this whole idea that stress is normal, that it, that it means you're important and it pushes you to perform at your best. Again, mm. as doctors, unfortunately, that's uh, a lie that we very much believe. And this idea of, of being the lone ranger who has to be so busy, who's rushing from one thing to another, mm. feeling very important about whatever they're doing. That's self-generated stress. And stress is no, I'd argue stress is not normal. And it doesn't mean you're important. And it does not necessarily mean it pushes you to perform your best. There's something called the um, Yerkes-Dodson curve, which is, if you like, a, I think of a bell-shaped curve. Um, and what that shows is that as the level of arousal increases, then our performance increases. So you do need some... So I don't want to say that stress is all bad. Mm. Some, some stress is good. You know, if you didn't have some stress, you wouldn't get up in the morning. Yeah. Okay, So you need some stress... And, you know, the a, a degree of stress is healthy. So, for example, the Olympic athlete who is in that um, uh, race for, to win the gold medal needs to have a degree of stress to think to really perform at their best. And often in events like that, in the Olympics or world championships or in whatever sport, you have those world records that are broken because the environment and the and 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 the challenges and 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 the performers behind around you the athletes around you the pressure yes. the pressure is getting you to perform your best 
But if that athlete, take the example of the Olympics, if, if that athlete says to themselves, well, here I am, it's the Olympic Games, it's the final Olympic Games, this is going to be my last chance to get a gold medal, I'm here against all these people, if I don't win this match, if I don't win this race, then I'll never get another chance for four years, it might be the last chance I ever get in my life. If they start talking to themselves like this and they keep talking like that, they're going to go on the other side of the yerkes dodson curve and put themselves under so much stress that they're going to collapse it's interesting isn't it because a lot of times you see in sort of the olympics that world records are broken in the finals aren't they rather than the heats because you've got this they've obviously got the right balance there between the stress and the performance and they and they've got that right level of focus and mind control they're 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 stressed enough to realize the importance of, of 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 the event to bring out their best but they are not so as it were, engaged with what's going on around them, that that, that it, it begins to overwhelm them. And, you know, you see that, you know, with people who get exam nerves, for example, and exam anxiety. That's, again, that that's, it's, it's, it's the event, the exam or the, the, or the race becomes way too important. And so that mastering stress is being able to stand back a little bit from it. It's important, but not too important, as it were. And I suppose also it's about focusing on the moment is important yeah. as well, isn't it? So That's right. And it's finding that the power in and, 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 and the strength in the moment. So um, so stress can certainly make you perform at your best, but not necessarily. OK. Mm. Um, the other big thing is, is stress is caused by working too much. And again, I think that's another myth we tell ourselves that somehow um, if I had a quieter day. Well, actually, no. I mean, I think... A quieter day necess- not, does not necessarily mean that you're going to uh, make the right decisions. And, mm. you know, we have that phrase, isn't it? What, isn't it an, an idle mind is, is the devil's workshop. Mm. Um, and the classic biblical example of that is uh, David and Bathsheba. David, it says in, 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 in the Old Testament, it talks about how it says that at the time when kings go to war, uh, David chose to stay a, at home away from the battle. And he goes... And he basically decides that he's going to uh, laze around and have a nap. And he gets up and he goes to the top of the roof and he sees a beautiful woman bathing mm. and his heart lusts after her and he commits adultery. And he then goes on to commit murder and he creates enormous stress for his life. Mm. And that, if you could argue, was that stress was caused not by working too much, but by not doing the things he should have been doing. So it's about getting that healthy balance and, and yes. also uh, not kind of living uh looking at the future and the negatives but living in the present and looking at the positive yes and exactly and but as i say it is this balance because the other myth of again is that stress is caused by working more you know you, ha- you have those people say is that i only work best when I've, I've got an imminent deadline or i work best under high stress because it enables to me to give out my best because i thrive on chaos and tight deadlines well okay maybe you, you maybe you do maybe you are a type a personality maybe you need that but again the danger of that is you get that addiction to adrenaline mm. and that adrenaline rush which which uh, scientists say is, is as uh, powerful as, uh, as 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 a rush of heroin mm. um you know it causes a great sense of uh, of euphoria and excitement but that in itself can become addictive and as we talked about earlier on this uh, this continual um tension on on my body if i don't balance it out will create it will create its own toil upon me so now can i ask you a question about something that's that affects me which is 
to do with stress, which is about Facebook notifications. We talked about that a little bit earlier, oh, yes. about Facebook messages and Facebook notifications. Yeah. Now, I think this is a really interesting modern example of, of, of modern day stress. Yeah. How we, we wait for those red numbers to come up on our Facebook page so that we can see if people have liked what we're doing or, or, or approved of what we've said and that sort of thing or what we've posted. But when you don't get something like that, it can be quite stressful in, in, in a kind of a micro way. But it's interesting, isn't it? That this is kind of indicative of the modern modern life. Yes. And, and what's happening is that we're losing that sense of control of, of, of the here and now. And exactly. I know exactly what you mean. My uh, my phone that's on my belt around my waist. It when there's um, it, it, it'll, it'll give a small vibration when a text message comes in or when there's an alert on my calendar and I, but I've switched it off from things like um, the uh, I, I use whatsapp for example because mm. I have lots of whatsapp messages coming through or mm. you've got emails coming through uh, you want to switch those off because otherwise what you're creating is what they call an addiction to there's a dopamine addiction that happens at that point right. and and you, you begin to start craving that uh, and again, that's that that's certainly not healthy. And people are now going on on retreats, sort of non-technology retreats, on this, so they can leave their mobile phones and their devices at home and go away for a weekend or a week and and, and get sort of some 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 rest from this constant bombardment of notifications and, and messages. And no, exactly, because if you think about it, again, we were never made to be twenty-four-seven. We were made for rhythms of of activity and then rest activity and then rest and you can you can carry on indefinitely so long as you balance those those periods of activity with periods of rest but the periods if they're intense periods of activity you need intense periods of rest as well you cannot just keep going indefinitely and again we we, we try and kid ourselves and there's almost it's certainly in 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 a lot of circles and and think and i think medics and doctors are are, are very prone to this as are bankers as are a lot of corporate executives to thinking that there's something macho about me proving that I can pull in an all-nighter mm. and get the stuff done and and just keep on working, keep working. Well, no, eventually you will, you know, you, you will get the toil of that, and it's just so out of harmony with um, with nature and with the way that we were created. I mean, I'll give you a, a funny example. You know, um, I mean, all of us, you know, maybe you know, before an exam, have really try to put everything in, you know, uh, work, maybe study all night and then that, um, maybe pass the exam, but not really learnt, l- l- learnt, mm. anything, not really had an education. And if you think of a, a, a ridiculous example with, say, a farmer, what would you think of a farmer who didn't uh, plant his seeds, who didn't bother about uh, watering or nurturing them, and then when it came for the time of harvest in the autumn, basically went to the field having done nothing all year <laughs> and started pouring water on them and maybe getting a hairdryer to try and mm. uh, get the plants to grow it just wouldn't work it, it, it you need to the rhythms you need the rhythms the rhythms are so important and again in, in the book of genesis it, it's very interesting it's it, when it talks about when god created heavens and the earth and uh, created creation in in um in chapter one, he says it, it, it was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second mm. day, evening. Mm. You know, it's this this rhythm, and and we need to live with those rhythms. And unfortunately, technology doesn't give us that. And there's always one more email to answer. Yeah. There's always one more Facebook message to read. There's mm. always one more thing I could do. And uh, 
we're a bit you know like the the myth of Sisyphus if you think about the the guy who was condemned to basically take take a rock to the top of a hill see it fall down and then take it back up again forever and ever mm. and unless we get those periods of rest we're going to find ourselves exhausted, burnt out, cynical, discouraged, disillusioned, angry and bitter. So is there anything else we can do, sort of practical examples or practical things we can do to cope with our stress or to live a, live a life that is less affected by, by the stress? Yes, I mean, there are a number of things, Andrew. Um, actually, uh, before I go into them, one of the things I, I, do, I would encourage our listeners to do is to go to the website at drsunil.com and there is a, a very fascinating video by somebody called Dr. Mike Evans who talks about the single most important thing you can do for your stress. And it's only about it. It's, a, it's an 11 minute video and he very entertainingly goes through the research about stress and some of the th things that we can do in, in our lifestyle to try and uh, manage that. And um, we've already talked about the single most important thing is the way you think. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. But th th I'd, I'd really commend you to go to that video. If you just go to how do I cope with stress in my life part four and you, um, you, that, that you, can, you can access that from the uh, search, search page, uh, that'll be a very good, useful 11 minutes for you, I think. Because as, as we've talked about, he points out there's both a negative and a positive side to stress. And the fact that managing stress is like regulating the pressure in a bicycle tyre, just enough to keep rolling, but not so much that if you hit a bump in the road, you, you don't explode. So, you know, what are the factors that help us to be more resistant to stress? I think the first thing is how much control you feel you have. If you, if you can create oases of control in your life, mm. then that's going to be a, a better way to manage stress. Um, one of the things that you know that uh, an example that comes to mind and again I think of, of another stressful situation is a, a famous psychiatrist called Viktor Frankl who was in the concentration camps in mm. Nazi Germany mm. and you can imagine hugely stressful seeing being tortured and seeing people being brutally treated but in that concentration camp he realized that there is a part of me that no one can control and that's my mind and so he began to think about what are the lessons I'm learning from be by being in this concentration camp? What are the lessons I'll teach my students when I get out? And he created this sort of oasis in his mind. And so he created something that he could control. And that gave him the strength to deal with what was an enormously stressful situation. Uh, and another more recent example is um, John McCain, uh, who was a uh, prisoner of war in Vietnam. And I, f I still find this amazing. He was, he was in solitary confinement. Uh, for for long periods of time, uh, but one of the things he would do is he. And I don't, don't know how he did this, but this is apparently this is this 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 is this is well documented, uh, and it, what he talks about is that he cr he knew a number of golf courses in the United States, and he knew them intricately. So he would play golf in his mind as a means of dealing with with the boredom and the stress of, of being in solitary confinement. Sort of imagining each hole and each yeah, stroke, and that's you know, sort of... yes, that's right. So this sense of how much control you feel. If you can find areas of control, then then that's really important. Then the other big factor is the richness of your social networks of friends and family. Being connected, not connected through Facebook. Mm. Okay, that has its place, but actually having people who you can be open with and be honest with, who you can laugh and joke with, who you can say, "Oh, I'm having a terrible day," or or you can just you know. Be, yeah, who, 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 who love you and you who you love, that's, that, that is more beneficial than losing weight, that is more beneficial than giving up smoking. That's huge health benefits from that and huge capacity to handle stress. Um, the other big thing is your openness to change. Uh, 
Mm. I mean, we, you can hear all this, but if you decide that, no, my situation is unique and there's nothing I can do about it, well, I'm afraid you're right. There is nothing you can do. But if you're willing to be open to change, then literally the world is your oyster then. Literally things can change dramatically. There's a, I, on a humorous note, um, uh, have you heard that joke? How many psychiatrists does it take, Andrew, to change a light bulb? I think I know the answer to this. Go on. It's, you only need one uh, psychiatrist to change a light bulb, but the light bulb must really want to change. That's it. That's yeah, the, yeah. And that's the whole point, your openness to change. Yeah. Yeah, great. Then the other thing is a positive attitude like optimism. Uh, you know, the glass half empty, glass half full kind of person. And again, I would challenge our listeners on this. I mean, I am by nature, and again, this surprises people when they, when they, when I tell them this. I'm actually a glass half empty kind of person. I mean, that's why maybe I'm so interested in all these subjects because I feel I need it more than anybody else. That's why I struggle through these through these areas. But optimism is a skill that can be learnt. And I was pulled up short about this a few years ago, when uh, as a family we were we had this sort of fun exercise of giving each other nicknames. And my children decided to give me a nickname that shocked me. And it really pulled me up short. They decided to give me the nickname Puddle Glum. Now, if, if, for those of you who don't know, Puddle Glum is a character in the C.S. Lewis Narnia series who is a very dour, very morose, very negative, uh, very glass half empty kind of person. And I thought, this is how my kids see me. And that was part of the catalyst thing. I've got to change. Um, and and I think the exciting thing, though, is and, and I would vouch this from my own experience is that actually you can change. Yeah. You don't have to be a glass half empty kind of person. So that's possibly actually like, like optimism. That, that That's very important. And then the other things is the self-care skills like uh, regular exercise, sleeping well, avoiding junk food, enjoying friends and family that we talked about. But, you know, the big trick I think that people miss is that when life gets stressful, what we say to ourselves is I'm too busy to dot 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 whatever it is to enjoy myself to relax to 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 do things that i know that 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 energize me well no this is the trick is that when life gets busy and stressful do more of those things that fill you right you've got all these things in your life that are draining you well make sure you put in those times that you do those things that fill you so an example for me is that when my life gets stressful, one of, one, of, one of my things that fills me up is regular exercise. So I swim regularly, I go to the gym regularly. And when my life gets stressful, I make sure that I'm doing it just as much, if not more often. <laughs> because that's my way of, if you like, getting that sense of control as well. And so that when I'm facing the challenge, I can bring my best self to it rather than being uh, continually deflated and, and, and exhausted so you know as i talked about mike evans in his video he talks about how your brain can literally become a volume dial that can turn your stress level up or down and you can do these things to, to really make a difference and you know so um yeah so it's it's our ability to choose one thought over another and to take control of our life that can really be the game changer in this that's fascinating and i think it does uh relate to what we talked about in another podcast about wisdom isn't it about taking a step back and, and looking at the way the things that cause you stress and the things that uh, uh, are affecting your life negatively but so can we just look at some biblical perspectives now yes um because i think there's some great things to be drawn out from the bible and and from a christian perspective on how we can cope with stress yeah I'm glad you raised that, Andrew, because the issue is that while modern approaches to stress are helpful, they encourage better balance in life, they help us deal with negative thoughts, the importance of exercise and relaxation, 
we have to still get to the foundation of why am I here and how am I living my life? What are the things that are most important to me? And rarely in modern life are we encouraged to think about those bigger questions. And I think because we don't think about the bigger questions, that makes us more stressed mm. because we start running to things thinking that if I, for example, if my life was more organized, mm. okay, then it would then then I would feel a degree of less stress. Well, yes, you would probably in the short term. But there is still that gnawing sense of what is my purpose? What is the most important thing for me? You know, sorry to, to sound too negative, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want it to be, you know, just organizing one's life could be a bit like, you know, organizing the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. OK, if the ship's not going in the right direction, then no matter how organized you are, yeah. you'll get to the wrong place faster. That's basically, a, that's a great example. Yeah. So so and unfortunately, I think a lot of our life doesn't really ask those questions i mean um obviously i work in the nhs and i've visited many hospitals been to many clinics been to many um therapeutic centers and i'm sure some of our listeners have come across this on walls in many of these places there is this there's this prayer which is a helpful prayer uh, it's which goes god give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed courage to change the things that which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you've come across that, Andrew. So I mean, yeah. It's everywhere. And it's helpful. But, you know, I've always felt it's it somehow doesn't feel enough. Right, tell, uh, tell us more. Why, well, why is it not enough? Well, it, it, well, first of all, it doesn't feel enough. But I, a few years ago, I came across the whole prayer. And when I tell you the whole prayer, you'll maybe understand why it's not <laughs> widely circulated. But I'd say it's actually a fantastic prayer about how to live in a stressful life and it, you know it builds on it, it builds on wisdom really uh, and just to say that the prayer is is under how do i cope with stress in my life part five uh, on, on on the website but let me just let me read to you the rest of the prayer so the first part remember was god give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other but the prayer then goes on and it's by a guy called reinhold niebuhr a theologian and he says living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. And that's where the stress is because the world's not going where I, how I want it to go and I'm getting angry, I'm getting frustrated, I want it to go my way. Control, yeah. yeah, but I want to take as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. Because that's where the battle is. I'm getting stressed because my life should go my way. And because it's not going my way, I'm getting angry and frustrated. But I take the example of Jesus who said, not my will be done, but your will. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. And then I love this last section. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And can you see the, the beauty of that is that all my eggs are not in this in this life. All my hope and expectation mm. is not in the here and now that I don't have to have everything going my way. That gives me the power and strength to deal with the challenges uh, that come and which will come. It ties up again with, with one of my favorite quotes from Tim Keller, which is that in Christ, our bad things can turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And the best is yet to come. That's I think, you know, that's the sort of. The conversations we've got to have with ourselves, the, the sermons we've got to preach to ourselves when we deal with the tough realities of life. 
you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.